Okay, we're talking uh, uh, from the book of James this morning and on good deeds. Reading from some of the introduction notes to the book of James in the NIV Bible, we read the following. Miraculous, revolutionary, greatest ever. We're inundated by a flood of extravagant claims as we channel surf the television or flip through magazine pages. The messages leap out at us. The products assure us that they are new, improved, fantastic and capable of changing our lives. For only a few dollars we can have cleaner clothes, whiter teeth, glamorous hair and tastier food. Cars, perfume, diet drinks and mouthwash are guaranteed to bring happiness, friends and good life. And just before an election, no one can match the politicians' promises. But talk is cheap and too often we soon realise that the boasts were hollow and quite removed from the truth. Christians also make great claims but are often guilty of belying them with our actions, professing to trust God and to be his people while clinging to the world's values. We say, Jesus is the answer. Believe in God. Follow me to church. We may think we have all the right answers, but often contradict these values just by the way we live. With energetic style and crisp, well-chosen words, James confronts this conflict head on. It's not enough to talk to Christian faith, he says. We must live it. Genuine faith will inevitably produce good deeds. This is the central theme of James' letter, around which he supplies practical advice on living the Christian life. Reading from some of the introduction comments in the message version of the Bible, we read, when Christians, believers, together, uh, gather together in churches, everything that can go wrong quite often does. Outsiders, on observing this, conclude that there is nothing to this religion business except perhaps business, and not very pleasant business at that. Insiders see it differently. Now, just as a hospital collects the sick under one roof, and uh, labels them as uh, patients as sick, uh, the patients have the expectation that they'll receive healing. Well, the church collects sinners and attempts to minister them without branding them as sinners. Many of the people outside the hospital are every bit as sick as those inside, but their illnesses are either undiagnosed or disguised. It's similar with sinners outside the church who for the most part would probably not consider themselves as sinners. So Christian churches are not, as a rule, model communities of good behaviour. They are 
or rather should be, places where human misbehaviour is confronted and dealt with by sound biblical teaching. This letter of James was written to expose hypocritical practices and to teach right Christian behaviour. It was written by Jesus' brother, James, who was an early leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. The letter of James shows one of the church's early pastors skillfully go about his work of confronting, diagnosing and dealing with areas of misbelief and misbehaviour that had turned up in congregations committed to his care. Deep and living wisdom is on display here. Wisdom both rare and essential. Wisdom is not primarily knowing the truth, although it certainly includes that. Wisdom is skill in living. For what good is truth if we don't know how to live it? What good is an intention if we can't sustain it? Healing often follows pain of some sort, so it seems logical that if there is pain, misbelief and disharmony in the church, there needs to be a healing take place to restore it to health and effectiveness. Unfortunately, some in the church would often choose not to deal with the pain they would rather suffer the pain that they're in at the moment and they're familiar with rather than risk possibly greater long-term or short-term pain by getting treatment and healing for that pain. A bit like um, when you need to go to the, to the dentist. Pain restricts effectiveness. If we have any sort of pain in our bodies, it restricts us from functioning to our full capacity. Speaking of pain, in James chapter 1, we read about uh, trials, temptations and perseverance. To me, trials and perseverance imply behaviours beyond the normal. Perseverance speaks to me of extraordinary effort in order to achieve something beyond the present, something worth striving for, something worth enduring the pain in order to gain something greater. I won't go into the matter of temptations because I would be fairly confident we all experience them from time to time. Having said that, we would do well to realise where they come from and so we need to ask God to give us victory over those temptations. We'd probably all be familiar with the uh, saying, no pain, no gain. If something is not right, it won't improve until someone does something to remedy that situation. Now, if we were going on a road trip around Australia, we wouldn't commence the trip until the vehicle had been serviced and everything that required attention had been dealt with. Um, we'd uh, probably get a new set of tyres, we'd uh, get some spare parts in case we got caught up somewhere between uh, the towns uh, with long distances between them uh, we might even get a road map um, sometimes churches need to attend to anything that would cause a problem to them being effective also in chapter 1 James tells us we should be quick to listen slow to speak 
and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There's also a challenge for us to take in what we hear or read from God's word and apply those truths to our daily lives. Um, how often have we come out of church and have forgotten what the sermon was about or weren't even paying attention at all? So James is telling us that we need to, uh, to, to pay attention and, and to apply those principles to our lives. Uh, we need to discern whether those things that we've heard are correct or not. And uh, so that will probably help to imprint those messages in our minds. Chapter 2 tells us that favouritism is forbidden, part particularly if we discriminate against those who are poor or just don't fit in. Verse 9 tells us that if we show favouritism against the poor, we are lawbreakers. Showing favouritism is wrong because it is inconsistent with Christ's teachings. It results from evil thoughts. It insults people who are made in God's image. It is a byproduct of selfish motives. It goes against the biblical definition of love. It shows lack of mercy to those less fortunate. It is hypocritical and it is sin. So when we look at uh, chapter 2 and uh, we read from verses 14 to 17 which is included in the reading that Sandra brought to us it says uh, what good is it my brothers and sisters if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds can such faith save them suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food if one of you says to them go in peace, keep warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs what good is that? In the same way faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action is dead. Well what exactly constitutes a good deed or good works that James is talking about here? it would be fairly easy to understand that a good deed is uh, we could um, give transport to somebody needing to go on to a medical appointment um, we could take someone shopping uh, we could make a phone call to someone who was sick or in need or lonely uh, we could even invite someone for a meal because they're new to us and uh, they're struggling to get to know others in the church Good deeds of hospitality can be very important. But what about when we include works and say faith without works is dead? I guess we could almost consider works as more in the category of spiritual activity such as teaching a Bible study, mentoring another person in the Christian faith or sharing faith with a non-believer. Well it seems to me that deeds and works can work very well together because they both demonstrate action to our faith. Of course the Great Commission as a command by the Lord Jesus could be the ultimate works. However 
Unless our lives show love and concern for others, what we say could have little effect on those hearing what we have to say. So I'd say good deeds is foundational. Chapter 3 warns us about what we say and how we say it. Now the early part of this chapter is subtitled Taming the Tongue. It gives examples of how such small things can have such enormous influence. Large ships are steered by small rudders and uh, will direct the ship wherever the captain wishes to go. Horses are able to be uh, directed by a small bit placed in their mouths. And the tongue, so small but can have such enormous influence. Properly controlled, our tongue can give praise, worship, comfort and encouragement. However uncontrolled, it can wreak such havoc, hurt and disharmony. Often once those uncontrolled words have left our mouths, it takes a great deal of effort to uh, repair the damage that's been done. We get to chapter 3, we're talking about uh, wisdom. So reading from verse 13, we read, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by the good life, good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Now, I know we're in chapter 3 at the moment, but back in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, we read that if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. One facet of wisdom can be knowing that there's a problem but not knowing how to remedy the situation whereas another facet of wisdom is being able to do what needs to be done to rectify that situation. In chapter 4 uh, deals with our submission to God. Verses 2 and 3 in relation to praying says, You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Sometimes we pray selfish prayers. Sometimes we pray not really believing we'll receive what we've asked for. Sometimes we move ahead in our own strength to rectify a, uh, a problem or an issue uh, without consulting God on the project. And then when we've got it all together, we ask for God to bless us instead of asking him in the first place. When we get to chapter 5, James gives a warning to rich oppressors. Now, he's not saying it's wrong to be rich. However, he's warning against the misuse of those riches to gain favour over those who may be poor. If we've become rich uh, at the expense of our employees, 
or taken advantage of someone in a business deal, James has a warning for us. It's what we do with those riches that's important. There are many worthwhile causes that need financing. And for instance, uh, if you watch the uh, Vision Australia Christmas carols, uh, when they're asking for donations, they say that if you give now, your donation will be doubled. So I'm assuming for this to happen, there must be wealthy people just uh, waiting to uh, match your donation. And uh, that's a great thing. Just look at uh, Andrew Forrest, the Christian mining magnate, for instance, who gives enormous amounts of money to worthy causes, both Christian and non-Christian. The second part of chapter five is dealing with the prayer of faith. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now the notes in my study Bible say that the prayer offered in faith of the prayer is what's important here. So uh, when we're praying for somebody, we need to be uh, sincere in what we're asking for. The book of James is a rather short uh, book, but a book nevertheless with some simple, important guidelines for Christians and churches. We don't hear much or a lot about James, possibly because it appears that he may not have become a believer until Jesus' resurrection. Given that the central theme of the book of James is that genuine faith inevitably produces good deeds, is our faith producing good deeds? Some of our good deeds will be individual, whereas others will be as part of a team. Or again, our good deeds may be a mixture of both. Now as a church, we've recently accepted new vision and mission statements, which are not the vision and mission statements for someone else to carry out, like the pastor or the youth worker. They're for us to carry out as a team here at GBC. The vision and mission may not be achieved without us using our good deeds in pursuit of these goals. There are many ways we can perform good deeds, depending on the gifts God has blessed us with. Everyone of faith has been given spiritual gifts. They've been given to us to be used. You may have noticed that the statement, genuine faith will inevitably produce good deeds, is an action statement. James says it's not enough to talk to Christian faith, we must leave it, live it. James' task was to correct incorrect beliefs and actions and prepare the churches within his care 
for effective Christian ministry. What good does our faith produce? Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that uh, we will be faithful to you and that we'll use our, our um, good deeds and our, and our works uh, in your service. That we will have uh, things that uh, qualify us for your service rather than just having faith. So, Lord, challenge us, draw us close to you, prepare us for what you've got in mind for us, we pray in Jesus' name.